0: I'm going to read now from uh, the, the Bible, from the New Testament, and the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom... It would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
1: Lovely to see you. Please uh, turn back in your Bibles to Matthew, to chapter 11. Love you to have that on your lap. And I'd like the opportunity to tell you about uh, one of the finest films of the year for me at least. I picked it up purely by accident. It was an iPlayer um, and it was called Spitfire. Has anyone seen this film? It is quite remarkable. No one? One person, that's because I recommended it to them. Um, It's the most wonderful film that tells a story of industry like no other. How this uh, This piece of war equipment, this aeroplane called a Spitfire, has become a symbol of national freedom. It's very interesting that the music, I'm very biased, the music is wonderful, Uh, I've had it on repeat on Spotify. It's by a composer called Chris Rowe. Christopher Rowe, the the cinematography is, is gorgeous, if that's appropriate, of drone footage, of white cliffs of Dover with a plane or two in the sky. It's quite something. That's before you get to the people. Tom Neill, top right-hand corner, bottom right-hand corner. Tom Neal was a youngster. He was 18, 19, 20. He, uh, he answered the call and he was flying eight to ten sorties a day, if he came back each time. Eight to ten sorties a day. I can't get over that. Going up into the sky, coming down, quick sortie over Kent countryside, up in the air, over the, the pond, so to speak, defending the borders, sc- borders scouting around, returning, refuel. He says it was exhausting. You think that's an understatement? The generation that flew the planes, they were the masters of understatement. Had a spot of bother over the channel. What they mean is they shot down three or four planes. There are so many in the sky, it looked like gnats, said another one. So understated. Remarkable collection of men. Then up pops Mary Ellis. She's bottom left-hand corner. Mary Ellis flew... 1,000 Spitfires. I don't know women involved in flying Spitfires, but Mary Ellis is a unique and remarkable lady. She was part of the Air Transport Auxiliary. I mean, how do the planes that are constructed in Birmingham, how do they get to where they need to go? It's the women. And the ATA, remarkable lady. She died last year, age 101. Aged uh, 100, she could still fit into her ATA uniform um, that she wore aged 18, 19. She said she had a lot of fun. There was a lot of very interested uh, airline pilots who wanted to get her her name, not her number, no marbles in those days. And what just uh, was overwhelming as I watched the film the second time and the third time, it so, so struck me, was just the sheer energy, the determination, the sacrificial spirit of a past generation. It is quite something. They worked so hard. And then they talk about it like, uh, like it's such an ordinary thing. Everybody would do this, and I don't think they would in the modern generation. Tom Neill, we were always on the edge lack of sleep, little food, but we did it. We did it. Energy, effort, conviction. It's the cost of freedom. Very little rest, very little sleep. And then we come to the end of Matthew 11. That Jesus here is talking about the very heartbeat of Christianity. Verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right to the heartbeat of what Christianity is all about, what Jesus offers, what we need, what we long for. And Jesus says, I can give you, you can take this to the bank, Deep rest. Something that you can find nowhere else that you'll keep looking for throughout your life. I can promise you deep rest. And this passage tells us why we need it, what it's like and how to get it. So let's get into it. Point number one, the need for rest. Scientists tell you, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, we need sleep. I wonder if men need it more than women. I don't know. You can talk about that over coffee. But it doesn't matter how long you have. What matters is how deep it goes. Scientists say you need two hours every night of REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter how long the duration is, it's not enough for you. You need at least two hours a night of deep sleep. Now, is Jesus saying, come to me, become a Christian, and you get the best sleep in the world? (laughs) No, he's not saying that. He's saying you can go on the holiday to the Bahamas if someone else pays. You can go to Mauritius, you can go to wherever you like. You can have the best mattress of memory foam. You can have your phone switched off or smashed or destroyed so no one can contact you. But only I can give you the deep soul rest that you long for, claims Jesus, verse 28. You're looking for something only I can give. Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, to whom is Jesus speaking is a key question. Is he speaking just to a band of brothers that are following him round? Is he speaking to anybody throughout the generations? Who is he speaking to, the burnt out, the professional types that are on the 555 from Epsom up to town? Is he talking to those people that are shift work and they don't know what day or night is? It just blurs into one. Is he talking to people like that? It's a solemn statement that Jesus is making and it's to everybody throughout the age. Think about Horace. Horace is a Roman poet I came across this week. What a great name. No one lives content. No one lives content. This is written in the first century. And it's hard for young people, whether you're year 7, 8, 9, 10, whether you've got your 20s, not your 40s. It's hard for young people to get this because you believe, and adults are pretty good at it too, we believe a whole series of lifelines Here's a lifeline for you to try on. When you're at school, if I get great nine stars, if I get nine nine stars, if I get the A-levels I want, if I get to go to a great university, if I get success academically, then I'll get the great job that I need. And a great job means great resources. Great resources equal happiness. That's a lifeline that you can believe. No, I'm not interested in academics if I can just pursue a sporting career. Then if I get sporting career, I'll get great aplomb. No, 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 if I get 2.4 children, if I get the right postcode, if I get the kids into the right school, that's success. All of these are lifelines that you can pursue age at 14. You can pursue, I just want to know what job to get, Dad, so I can get lots of money because that's happiness and that's success and that's rest. Speak to people that have billions. It's not rest. There's never enough. It's lifelines that our society sells to us and we buy and we swallow all too readily. The older you get, our discontent is much more like Horace. No one lives content. As the years go by, you you sing and hum you you too that you still haven't found what you're looking for. Actually, two kids becomes four. One car needs to become two. Three employees now needs to become ten. The burdens grow. The weariness increases. And Jesus says, I am the only one. Who can give you deep inner rest, that all these other things will shout that you still need. But what does Jesus mean? Is he talking about general rest? Is he talking about uh, zero on your inbox? Is he talking about just a great peace-filled holiday on the Norfolk Broads, maybe on a boat? Look at what he says: Come to me, all you who are weary, and what's the next word? Burdened. Come to you all who are weary and burdened. In Matthew 23, later in the book, Jesus describes how the religious leaders, they put burdens on the people that are unbearable. They say, "If you follow these rules, if you do these things, the things that they don't even do, then God will be pleased with you. That's what religion does. If you follow these commands, if you go to these places, if you do these things, then God will owe you. He will hear your prayers more than if you don't. And if you're not careful, they become a crushing burden to you. No security, no joy. How do I know if I've done enough? I just need to work hard so that God will come through for me. We're all trying to live up to standards, whether they be of our own making, of our parents' making that have been passed on to us and are still crushing us to this day. So each one of us, no matter how old you are, no matter how grey hairs you don't have or you colour up or you do have, All of us need deep inner rest and we're crushed and we fail to measure up and we are afraid that one day we'll be found out. All of us feel like that in different ways. We have this deep inner restlessness, it's a burden. And Jesus says, well, not only do you all need it, I will give you a nature of rest that you will not experience anywhere else. What is Jesus saying, second point, about the nature of rest This is hugely, hugely inflammatory. It's hugely counterintuitive. Stick with me. Sentence 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come to me and I will give you rest, says Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. And that's another way of saying, learn from me. And then you'll find rest for your souls. Now there's a picture here. A yoke. Not very many people in the room, if any people, have grown up on a farm. Uh, Very few people even visit farms these days. But here we have uh, a beast of burden or two and they're bound together with this wooden yoke. We've seen that. We've seen it maybe at a National Trust property. We've seen it on the TV or the internet. We know that two beasts of burden, two oxes, are harnessed together with this wooden device upon their shoulders and they work hard together. They're under the control of someone on the back um, ploughing the field. They're yoked together. And Jesus says... Look, the thing is, you're already burdened. Did you notice that from sentence 28 and 29? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden or burdened or yoked. You're already burdened. But if you come to me, I will give you rest. You must yoke yourself not to anything else, not to get rid of the burdens that you're already yoked to. Get rid of the burdens you're already carrying and come to me. Yoke yourself to me. Follow me. Come be one of my disciples. Because in those days, it wasn't just a matter of going to church, whatever that looked like in the first century. There weren't established churches in the same sense as we understand them today. If you were following a teacher, you would become one of their disciples, one of their learners, one of their followers. Your life would be shaped around their diary. You would go and sit at their feet. You would go and be in a community with them. You would yoke yourself to them so that you would learn from them. And Jesus says, this is how you find rest. Come under my influence. Listen to my words. Bind your heart to mine. Don't think you're not already carrying a burden. But notice how Jesus is is described. Come to me and I will give you rest. But my yoke is, what's it like? My yoke is gentle and light. It's described, verse 30. My burden is easy and light. Don't think that coming to me you'll lose freedom. Don't think coming to me it will be hard for you in the same way that you understand hardness. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come be one of my disciples. Let me dominate your life. Let me control. What a scary word that is. Your life. Take my yoke upon you. But as modern people we think no way. (laughs) No thank you. I prefer my freedom. Thank you very much. I don't want to come under anybody's burden, let alone yours. Now listen to verse 28 again. You can hear it and you can hear it with the emphasis on the word yoke. Take my yoke. That means my freedom goes. That means my future is unsecure. That's a picture of burden and heaviness. Because the emphasis is on the word yoke. Then you can read it again with the emphasis on my. Take my yoke upon you. We're already burdened. Can't you see? We are weighed down with so much that is heavy upon ourselves. We think we're independent, but we're not. We think we can make life work, but we can't. And Jesus says, get rid of your current yoke and yoke yourself. Join yourself to me. Here are some examples. I'll give you three. Career. I want to live my career. It's a lifeline. I want to live for my career and then I'll be someone. I can prove myself to you, to myself, and to those that doubt me. I'm going to put all my efforts, nothing's going to get in my way, no one's going to get in my way. I'll give whatever it takes to get my career off the ground and then to keep it going through the stratosphere. I'll show you. You're yoked to your career. It's where you find identity and purpose. The quality of your work is the measure of your worth. What will happen? You will probably burn out. You will be crushed because you're yoked to this. Your busyness defines you, or your business can define you. This career. What about children? If you don't have kids, you will not know, to the same degree, just how easy this is. But if you do have kids, maybe you can resonate with me. Maybe I'll live for my children. I'm going to give them opportunities that I never had. I'm going to put pressure on them to fulfil my dreams that I didn't have the opportunity to do, and I'm going to shout at them from the touchline like I witnessed yesterday up at Priest Hill. I won't say who it was, it wasn't me. I'm going to shout at them, I'm going to make them do XYZ, i Z. I'm going to take them to X, Y, Z because I want them. I'm going to live my life through them. It's so easy to do that. It crushes them and it can break your heart as well. And then either your kids will run away from you as quick as they can because they want freedom, they want to get away from the pressure, or they won't grow up into independent adults because of the burdens we put upon them. Don't yoke yourself to your career. Don't yoke yourself to your children. Don't yoke yourself morally. The problem with this generation is that we need some morals. We need to uh, have some good people, not like those bad people. Always over there. Don't sit over there. All the bad people over there are the good people over there. And Jesus is saying, No, don't think that by your efforts you can measure up to my standards. You can't save yourself. You need a rescuer. If you think that you'll be more religious and I'll be pleased with you if you read your Bible more, if you pray more, if you attend more, if you give more, if you go to certain places more. If you think you can decide your own morality, whether you're worth it or not, it'll crush you. You never know if you'll be good enough. No assurance, no joy, because it's based on works and not on the gospel of grace. Career, children, morality. Do you see, all of us, I could give you loads more examples, but because of time, I need to move on. We're all yoked to something. We all find our identity with someone or something or somehow. If I'm living a good life, I live up to my standards. I'm better than most other people over there. Change my hands. We're all yoked to something. And Jesus says, Take off your yoke that is so heavy, and I'm the only master who will forgive you when you fail. Put on my burden, it's light. My yoke is easy and gentle. I will never push you away when you fail. I will always satisfy your heart when you embrace me. The only way to be truly free, says Jesus, is to lay down your yoke, your current yoke, and to take upon your shoulders his. But how do you get it? For all yoke to something or someone, how do you put on Jesus's burden, his yoke? His burden is so gentle and light. Look at the centre of gravity, verses 28 to 30 that we've looked at, describing Jesus' goal is rest, the reality that we're burdened and heavy laden already. But to get the weight of that, we need to go back to sentence 25. Look a few sentences before. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. In uh, verses 20 to 24 that we looked at last week, Jesus is going to a few towns and he's saying, I've been to you, I've uh, performed miraculous deeds in you, I've spoken and taught in your towns and yet you've refused to believe me. It's the power of unbelief that we looked at last week. It's not the wise people, it's not the good people, it's not the people that think they can rescue themselves, that receive my grace, it's the kids. It's the children that are experts because they can receive. They can say, I've got nothing in my hands, I need you. And we thought about the first of two things that I just want to run through now. What does it mean to receive rest? It means that you need to become like a child. You need to be childlike. You need to be childlike. You need to recognise that you're helpless. Sentence 20 to 24. I can't help myself. I need you to provide for me. I need you, says a little one, to uh, take me from A to B. I need you to pick me up. I can't reach that thing. I need you to... All those things. We need to provide for the children that, And as a child can easily say, I need help, as an adult, isn't it so hard? We're so proud, we're so self-confident, we think we're so self-sufficient. It's so hard for an adult to be childlike and say, I need your help. I need to be rescued. Pride is the big monster in my heart, and I reckon it's pretty big in your heart too. We thought about that last week. You need to to recognise that you're absolutely helpless. But here's the second thing that you need to do says, Jesus, to, to receive his rest, to yoke yourself to him. You need to believe that Jesus Christ loves you and forgives you and that you have to rest in his love. Now, what do I mean by that? There's a two-year-old in our home. She's not just passing through. She belongs to us. But one of the things about having a little one again, it's just reminded us uh, how uh, forgetful um, and yet consistent little children are. It's been the potty training weeks. So it's been kind of chaotic in our home, but very earthy. That's all I'll say. There's been some hits and there's been some misses as well. But kids are very, very good at looking at you and forgetting that, they, that you love them and then remembering it the next second. They can frustrate you so that you're tearing out your hair so that you go grey. They can frustrate you so that you can be reading the newspaper. This is me, my version. And then suddenly the newspapers are crumpled up because they want to get it on your lap. They want you at every inconvenient time. And you wish that you had that kind of Mr. Spock grip that you could just safely, you could safely put them to sleep (laughs) just at any point. But when you're just at that kind of steam coming out your ear point, when you're at that point of thinking, enough, I want to run over the wings that you sing and you want to leave and never come back. The same child that has just bugged you They look at you and they expect to be loved. Just in an instant. They don't see that they frustrated you to the same degree that you feel it. One of the aspects that we struggle with as adults is being child dependent. We, we, We want to trust God with our lives. We find that so hard. But this is just as hard. To believe the gospel that God loves me with all my mistakes and to keep on believing that he has forgiven me the guilt that comes heavy on a Monday morning or a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday at 20 to 12. God saw that. Jesus paid for that. And in Jesus, I am loved just the same. It's hard to believe that as an adult and it's hard to rest in that love. How do you do that? That's the key to enjoying the rest that only Jesus can bring. Jesus says, I am gentle, verse 29, And humble in heart. That's what's so important. Take my yoke upon you. Here's John the Baptist at the beginning of Matthew 11. He's offended at what Jesus is doing. I thought the Messiah was going to be a strong man. I thought he was going to come and lead a rebellion and an army even. I thought the Messiah, God's king, was going to come and judge evil and destroy it and lead us into great places. He was offended. And Jesus, as we've been tracking through Matthew 11, said, no, no, I've not come to bring judgment. I've come to bear it, come to take it. If you're to become like a little child, watch Jesus going to the cross and notice something. There are lots of stories in uh, Christian history about men and women, martyrs, remarkable people that trust God and go to the stake or go into the Colosseum with uh, serenity and peace that God gives to them. But that's not how Jesus died. Think about how Jesus died. He fought blood, sweat, agony, tears. He wrestled. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not serene. He's not floating above the ground in his humanity and in his divinity. He's wrestling about what God would have him do. Is there any other way? Is there a way out for me? And God abandoned his son on the cross. God, as it were, deserted him relationally. And so Jesus bore all the sin of the world to rescue a people for himself. He battled, he fought. He took all our restlessness upon himself on the cross. And in so doing, he now is the only one who can actually give us rest and peace And so when you admit that you're helpless, when you admit that you don't have the resources to make it through life, that you need a rescue, that you recognise you have the burden of your sin, that means you're in a great place because you can't fall back on yourself, but you can enjoy the provision of Jesus' rest. And so Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to be found in him, in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's the key to rest. You see that you, you're not afraid of being found out anymore, because Jesus looks at you, has provided righteousness for you, a new record for you, a clean start for you, and He loves you, and His love will never let you go, and His smile will never depart from you when you are close to him. God now looks at you and sees His Son, He sees beauty, not horror. It's victory in Europe day, not the psalm. No more proving yourself. No more need to wear a mask. You can laugh at your failures. You can rejoice in your successes. You can rest. Not just on a Sunday. You can rest in Jesus every day. That's the key to work. It's the key to parenting. It's the key to careers. That you work hard with your God-given gifts knowing that where it all to fall apart. Jesus still loves you. It's liberating. It's freedom. But Jesus is saying to enjoy that freedom. It's not something just up in the air. It's being joined to me. And that's what this table reminds us of every single time we celebrate God's provision of Jesus in communion. So let me ask you, with a few visitors here, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a learner of Jesus? Are you yoked to him figuratively? Are you part of an accountable Christian community? Are you part of a church locally or nationally so that you can get the truth of the gospel needed into all the corners of your life and heart? We can't do it by ourselves. We need to worship together. We need to learn together. And so Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are already weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for only my yoke is easy and only my burden is light. Father, we thank you so much for the rest that is possible in Jesus. Forgive me when I forget it. And I think that my good record and standing can be found in some other endeavour. Help us to see that with all the God-given gifts that you've entrusted to each one of us, help us to work hard in those endeavours, whether it is being a grandparent, a single mum, whether it be someone looking for employment or someone with provision of, of work, whether it be retired or young or old. Help us to see whatever stage of life we're at, we still need to rest in you. Whether we're at school, we need to work hard, but also we need to rest, realising it's not of eternal value and worth. It's not of who we are in this. So help us to rest in who you are, Jesus. And help us please, Holy Spirit, to apply that truth to our hearts. Every single day. Amen. We enjoy having our kids back amongst us. So we always have a runner that goes down to the other uh, end of the hall. If you would find it, or, or school rather, if you would find it helpful as we transition to communion, we've got a number of these books. This is a superb resource. But as we say, it's, they're always free. Um, and uh, if you would be helped by taking one of these and reading it, that's the only catch. Please take it, please read it. Please come back and let me know what you think about it. And it tells us the story, a soldier's story, a modern context of what it means to fight for freedom on a field far, far away from home. As a Christian, what does it mean to do that? It's a superb resource with a friend of the church, uh, Mr. Carswell, and it's written by Gavin Dickinson. Can I commend it to you? Please see me or help yourself there on the desk if you would like one. Um, Now it's kind of rare that uh, we have an opportunity just to be quiet. But before the kids uh, rejoin us, let's just take a moment to reflect on the love of Jesus that was shown to us on the cross. This table is for you if you are a Christian. doesn't matter whether you're passing through, whether it's your first Sunday here, or whether you've become a Christian. Even this morning, this table is for you. And we'll take bread shortly and we'll drink a cup of grape juice that are symbolic of Jesus' death and resurrection for the sins of the world. But before we do that, let's take a moment to spend some time examining ourselves before we share together in this communion table.